This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're right here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. And of course, Carol, that's part of a team of 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. And Jason, you can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. Let's get into it even deeper with Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor for Bloomberg in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. All right, KH, you saw the headlines break. You're continuing to look at them. What jumps out at you? The Federal Reserve, led by Jay Powell, has made one thing perfectly clear. They're providing lots of stimulus, and they intend to continue to provide lots of stimulus. Uh, They're going to buy treasuries, as you read the headline, and mortgage-backed securities, at least at the current pace through 2022. Uh, In a a related statement, that means about $80 billion a month for purchases of treasuries and about $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities. This is something that bond investors, bond traders, really wanted more clarity on. I think it's also important, people were talking about the Fed's guidance and how it's been kind of fuzzy and wondering if they might make it a little more specific. Well, they're going to hold rates near zero um, and they're going to all do, do this uh, through 2022. Okay, we're going to 2021, then we've got 2022. I think that's that's making their, their, um, their guidance, their forward guidance more definite. I think that's very important to investors, to the markets as well. Uh, and generally speaking, I think it's also interesting when you look at uh, their projections. Uh, uh, the summary of economic projections uh, shows that the Fed expects GDP falling 6.5% this year mm-hmm. and rising 5% next year. Unemployment down to 9.3% in the fourth quarter of 2020. That's about four percentage points from where we are now. Uh, and it would be a little bit below the worst unemployment rate in the Great Recession, 6.5% by next year. Okay, maybe not so bad. Uh, Inflation in their key measure at 0.8% in 2020. That's a long way from the 2% target. But they're getting, I think, kind of optimistic seeing it back up to 1.6% by 2021. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Jay Powell says about this at the press conference. For example, if the really strong employment report that we got on Friday yeah. showing that jobs were up well, two and a half million, if that influences at all. But it's it's it's. I think it's, it seems like a realistic, maybe slightly tilted toward we're going to get through this and it's not going to take forever kind of bent. What's key about this report, right? It's our first quarterly forecast since December. We've got the dot plot of projections, Kathleen. So we really are getting an idea of how the board thinks, the policy setting board at the Fed thinks about where we are, and more importantly, what the outlook is at this point. Very important, uh, because, you know, we, again, I think we're going to hear from Jay Powell at the press conference. Surely someone's going to ask him, well, how, are, how do you think the reopenings are going? And what about if we get a resurgence in, in virus cases in the fall, as some people project we will? Is, is that something you've factored into the forecast, right? Are you mm-hmm. expecting that? Because a lot of people do, and still seeing you know, again, growth that's going to be back on track by next year, uh, unemployment down considerably by next year. Again, I, considering how how much we've gone through already, mm-hmm. this strikes to me. This strikes me as if I had to classify it as one, I'd say more optimistic than pessimistic. 
Because? Well, because they see growth picking up next year, because okay. they see unemployment coming down. We're not going to be stuck here forever, you know? Yeah. And so... So uh, V-shaped, U-shaped, you know, we've all uh, kicked around these. Does it I give you better indications? It, I would say, if you want to call it a V, it's a V that's really got wide arms, you know? Mm. It looks more like half of a W than a V standing alone. Do you know what I mean? We went way down, and we're starting to come up, It's right? almost like a cheerleader doing sort of like the Y. There you go. You know? But, the, the, but it's, it's not going to be a quick V up. It's not going to go from zero to six. 60 yeah. maybe yeah. it goes from zero to you know you get you get to 60 but it takes you longer i just want to point out market reaction right because we're all about yeah. you know what's going on in the markets and equity is seeing this i guess as a bit of a dovish report and you know they are going to their highs of the session i mean we're only up about 11 on the s p we're up about 60 on the dow and we're now up about 105 on the nasdaq i bring well, we that were up negative because across we, the board we were actually down on the s p and the dow the nasdaq yeah, sorry, was yeah. higher but yeah we're you you know, that's how the equity markets are certainly well, reading it. But that's because money's going to remain cheap for a long time. Exactly. And I think because the jobs report showed that strong gain in payrolls, as uh, I was speaking to Ellen Zentner from Morgan Stanley, she's going to be with us tonight on um, Daybreak Asia. And uh, she said that it, it's as though the jobs gains, for example, that her team thought would come in June came quicker they came mm. in may yeah. and i think there's a lot of investors because stocks have run so far so fast they need more ammo to keep going and the the fear that maybe the fed would say come out oh my gosh we got a good jobs report we can start pulling back but i think most fed watchers say that wasn't going to happen it ain't going to happen and that's not what jay what? powell's going to express why are, I mean, we were also seeing yields tick up a little bit. I mean, the 10-year was at 0.77. It's now 0.79. If I look at the short end, two-year was at eh, 0.1846. It hasn't changed too much. But, you know, a little bit of a, an uptick, um, but not really worth noting, I guess. Well, I don't know. It, maybe do they were really hoping the Fed was going to announce yield curve control or something oh. like that. Yeah. And again, I think people think it's too early. Do you really need yield curve control if your forward guidance is so definite, right? If you're going to now say you're going to keep the uh, rates near zero through 20. 22. So We've can got a I good ask you about that, Kathleen? Because I mean, just at first glance, that's a long time away, right? Isn't it? I know. Now remember, the Fed can can change that. Let's say sure, they're right. surprised by the data, but it's a very long time. That's a year and a half to keep the key rate at zero. Uh, and they're they're buying bonds, and they just said how many they're going to buy 80, 80 uh, million of the Treasuries, and then forty of MBS. So they're going to. Keep doing that indefinitely. You got a lot of liquidity coming into the system. Uh, they so they they've kind of put a floor under that. They're going to keep the key rate there, and I guess maybe what they're trying to tell us too is this isn't now. It isn't just we're going to try to keep the, uh, you know, the virus crisis uh, from becoming a financial crisis. Maybe they're they're what they're leaning toward now is. Someday, things maybe will be improved enough, enough businesses open, people back to work, that this low rate uh, and near zero and all the bond purchases will become stimulative, right? Because right. so far, this is to event crisis and, and, you know, a demolished economy. At some point, though, maybe that's right. the idea. We keep it in place and it starts getting the economy growing again. But for those of us who have not bought our yield curve control t-shirts yet, I mean, that's the whole idea of the Fed buying longer term rate securities, Correct. I want a yield curve control T-shirt. Yeah, Carol. we got to make those. I We're think we got to make some, but and we'll wear them here <laughs> in studio. Why do we want the Fed to do that? Because we have to be careful. We throw out these phrases because we use it all the time. But why do we want the Fed to do that, Kathleen? Well, I guess if you are a bond bull, you want to sort of you want to you want the Fed to make sure it's going to keep buying bonds and prevent yields from rising very much. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. The other side of the coin, though, I guess if you're not so much in favor, is that the Fed's idea presumably is that we don't need to do that. If we can 
you know, the market is, is the bond market is maybe still enough in step with us and our forward guidance that they're not going to really expect us to remove stimulus. They're not going to start pushing yields higher. Uh, and then there's still a lot of people out there, take the Jim Biancos of the world, who say right. this is very bad. It's destroying the bond market. And it, you don't get any kind of signal as from a market that you used to get. All right. Well, Kathleen Hayes, great immediate insight. We really appreciate it. Yeah. There's a lot to digest there. And you really walked us through it very cleanly and enthusiastically. We love you. Thank you so much. Uh, Yo, Kurt nice t-shirt, to- though. It's on my list. I know. I know. And before I know. Christmas. Well, well, we also like uh, lending and, the Lending and Spending yeah. Tour. Tour by Jay Powell. Jay great. Powell. And we, the could say control, uh, we could say Yield Curve Control on the front. And on the back, what would it say? Like The Lending and Spending the Tour. The Lending and Spending Tour. Right. Not spending. It. Okay. <laughs> I've got I'm, my, my name is on the list. Of we, got we got a plan. We had a plan. I got it. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. We got to talk a little bit more about that Fed decision. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it. Understand why the markets are doing what they're doing and what it may set the table for for the Fed going forward. We've talked a lot about the Fed mm-hmm. in this crisis, and rightly so. Francis Donald with us, Global Chief Economist, Head of Macroeconomic Strategy for Manulife Investment Management on the phone from Toronto, and Louis Alexander, Chief U.S. Economist for Nomura on the phone from New York City. Francis, I want to start with you. Most important thing that jumps out as you read the statement and look ahead to Jay Powell's comments. Most important change is that there is very little change here. They've only made three actually relevant changes to their statement, a lot of which is mark to market. The projections, no surprises, no yield curve control comments, no change in the forward guidance. This is a Federal Reserve that does not want to rock the boat. And I'm guessing Chair Powell is sitting watching markets feeling pretty pleased with himself. The problem is in the communications minefield that we're walking into in 15 minutes. Chair Powell has to get through a lot of time in which he needs to say absolutely nothing at all. This is going to be pretty challenging when he's going to get a whole slew of complicated questions. I got to say, we have a top live blog, and it's really wonderful. It's our whole team, our Fed team, our markets team. And they said the press conference will be interesting, and Powell might face some testy questions about the advance of risky assets in the last few weeks. And I'm, I'm going to guess a lot of testing, uh, testy questions about some other subject as well. Um, Louis Alexander, come on in our conversation. How do you see uh, the latest Fed decision? I guess I'd take it a little bit differently. I think there was one important change, and that is the Fed indicating that it's not going to continue to reduce the pace of its asset purchases. Really, since they they increased their asset purchases dramatically in March as COVID as the COVID crisis broke, they've been slowing them really steadily since April, and they did indicate in the statement today that that process is at an is at an end. And I think that that is important. It's certainly true that they didn't go all the way to yield curve control, but essentially I think it's a response to the way uh, long-term interest rates have risen in recent days uh, in in response to a stronger economy. So I think... uh, I think we are. I think there was uh, at least one important change in what they did in what they did today. Look, I agree that it's largely um, what was expected. Um, there wasn't anything else big, and there are the bigger issues like yield curve control are things that they're going to put off uh, for a later day. Um, the the press conference obviously uh, will be interesting. Um, I think one of the places he's going to get questions is. Why haven't they made more progress on their 13-3 programs? Mm. Which is what? 
Um, these are the, the broader programs they have to support corporate bond market, right. uh, commercial okay. paper, Main Street lending. Those programs, which were launched uh, mm-hmm. in late March, part of the relief, uh, frankly, yeah. have frankly not done very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's going to be, uh, I think, one of the things they'll be asked about. So, Francis, you know, one of the interesting things to think about at this moment, you know, June 10th uh, and several months into this crisis and another crisis piled on top of it is that, you know, the Fed and Jay Powell has, you know, gotten pretty good reviews. It feels like so far, what do you make of it uh, in terms of what they've done and and what they haven't done by way of programs and relief and, um, you know, whatever stimulus they can provide? Well, they've certainly thrown a lot of the problem, but it's an excellent point that a lot of the tools that have been engaged have not been fully engaged or fully utilized. I think the challenge for the Fed is actually the next chapter. How is the Fed going to be viewed when actually the economy starts to show more signs of reacceleration, more gangbuster numbers that surprise us to the upside? And how does the Fed respond if fiscal policy momentum starts to slow? That's going to be a more difficult chapter for the Fed. They're going to have to avoid any type of miscommunication where they acknowledge too much upside risk and and risk a taper tantrum that probably keeps Chair Powell awake at night. And how is he going to continue to emphasize that the real problem here is solvency, not liquidity, and the fiscal lever has to be the one that comes into play. So up until now, it's very easy to give the Fed, you know, a raise review. You know, they, they closed spreads. They avoided a credit crisis. But the challenging next act, I think, is the one where a lot of central bankers are going to be up at night. So, Lewis, what would be the question you'd want to ask Jay Powell right now? Um, I would want to ask him, what is he doing with those? What does he expect to to do with those thirteen three programs? I think that's to me mm-hmm. that's the most immediate question. Another one though, which I think would be important, is they are completing their strategy review. We've kind of forgotten about that a little bit in the wake of uh, COVID nineteen, but uh, that is something they're going to be completing and and over the next meeting or two. And how does that play into the decisions going forward? I agree very much with the way the previous speaker characterized the challenge in coming months. Um, and to a certain extent, how that strategy review plays out, what does that imply about forward guidance? What does that imply about how they're going to apply their asset purchases, particularly as fiscal policy starts to contribute less in an environment where the economy is still a very long way from full employment? Uh, those are going to be big challenges for the Fed. It'd be interesting to see what they're thinking about that at this point. And so, uh, yeah, Francis, I mean, this whole question of unemployment, I feel like, has been so much on our mind. I mean, jobs, obviously, just given the eye-popping numbers that we've seen. And also, you know, you're starting to see a little bit more of a, a movement to ask the Fed to be, if not more diligent, maybe a little bit more transparent about what they're doing with this unemployment gap, especially when it comes to white Americans versus black Americans and doing a little bit more work or at least showing that they're doing a little bit more work. How much do you think the Fed chair will hear about that in in questions? And how much do you think he is is thinking and, and talking about that with colleagues? I'll be shocked if he doesn't get some questions on the topic of inequality, COVID-19 shining a very bright light on this issue, along, of course, with civil unrest. This unemployment rate, if you look at their projections, actually remains fairly stubbornly high through 2021. They still have a 6.5% unemployment rate, which means they're aware people are going to be, get, going to be left behind. 
2020 is still at 9.3% unemployment rate. Right. So there are going to be a lot of conversations that kind of come on the ends of what Janet Yellen talked about for years, which is that we have to let the economy run hot to soak up this excess labor and those who have been most disadvantaged on the sidelines. We know that it is our most vulnerable workers who are most at risk of prolonged unemployment. So there's going to be additional motivation here that aren't just about getting your inflation target sustainably and symmetrically at 2%, but also how do we rectify some of this inequality? And from the central bank, that basically has one very blunt tool, monetary policy, it means lower for longer. Yeah, which That's is exactly what That's we're That's a getting. really interesting uh, observation because I feel like it, it feathers right into something we've been talking about with CEOs mm-hmm. all the time, which is, you know, you have a lot of different things that, that you can do and a lot of different things you have to think about. Um, and you can't just think about, all right, well, I got it in the case of a CEO, just think about my shareholders. Like, this is more complicated. And I think if there's one thing we've learned over the past couple of weeks, that this is an economic crisis as much as anything when it Absolutely. comes to inequality. Well, and I do think, you know, we're going to come up on one year, right, anniversary of the business roundtable saying multiple right. stakeholders, and we're going to, you know, do a, a scorecard or report card uh, in terms of what we've done in that first year. And this has been a rough year. Let's remind everybody the headline, the Fed met. Uh, it was the fifth meeting of the year. We've had two emergency meetings. Uh, the Fed pledging to maintain asset purchases at at least the current pace and projected interest rates will remain near zero through 2022 as policymakers really look to support the economy's recovery from the virus and the subsequent recession. We're talking with Francis uh, Donald at Manulife, Lewis Alexander at Nomura. You know, I asked this of Lewis, uh, Francis, what's the question you want to ask Jay Powell then? I would really like to know how they're paying attention to medical data. Powell has talked at length Mm. about how they need to pay attention to the medical data. How does he look at some of the curves are falling? Some of the curves have reaccelerated. And what about the curves outside of the United States? How does that weigh on him? I know we've all forgotten, but we're in a pandemic that drove massive market moves and the greatest policy response we've ever seen. Seems like we're focused on other components here a little bit, but we still have to come back to to the crux of the issue, which is, are we still facing downward curves? And how does that medical outlook translate into the way Powell is thinking about monetary policy? And so... Uh, Lewis, you know, I go back to one of my initial reactions and certainly the initial reaction from our own Kathleen Hayes, which is this whole notion of like, hey, guys, we got this under control in terms of, you know, close to zero through 2022. I know they can change their mind in the interim, but that does seem like a long time from now. So if you look at the inflation forecast they've got, they've got core inflation well below 2%, even out to 2022. As as Francis mentioned, they've got an unemployment rate that is well above levels that we would consider normal out through 2022. I think that interest rate at the effective lower bound through that period is perfectly consistent uh, with their other macroeconomic objectives. So I think there's no inconsistency there. And I do think on this broader question of of the, what can the Fed do about um, inequality, Francis was exactly right. They have a they can, they don't really have a tool that can address it directly, but I do think they can change the way they talk about what their employment objective is. Okay. Traditionally, they've talked about essentially getting the unemployment rate to some to some level that's consistent with Nehru. You started to see this before COVID nineteen of the Fed talking about they can. It isn't clear that there's an unemployment rate that is too low for them. 
Hmm. Um, and they can just run this economy hot uh, and push, in some sense, labor markets a long way without creating inflation risks. And in some ways, I think you're going to hear that kind of message coming out of their long-run uh, review of strategy, uh, because I think that's the was the conclusion they were reaching before COVID-19. And given everything that's happened in the last several months, I think they'll just reinforce that message. But all of that is very much about keeping rates low for a very long time. Yeah. One last question, Francis, you know, and it goes to something, you know, we were talking about, and I think Jason talked about with you earlier, you know, this whole idea that Jason Powell, in terms of how he's, uh, Jason Powell, Jay yeah. Powell, sorry. Hey, thanks for the promotion. Just give you a promotion. Jay Powell, I mean, he understands that people have looked to him as a leader during these moments of crisis right now, and he's really handled things well. And I think he's going to be very careful not to want to disrupt any of that. Absolutely. This is the point where he's supposed to hold steady and avoid rocking the boat. But it gets really hard when the data starts looking very good and you're going to have a new faction of conversation that comes through, just like we're seeing on the federal side saying this is going to be really hard to get out of. And should you really be adding this amount of stimulus? I think the way around that is to slowly downplay the possibility of yield curve control, continue to push back against negative rates and keep those bullets like refining forward guidance alive in the background so that people know there's more that he can do, but he doesn't feel he needs to do it now. This, this is going to be a very, very challenging press conference up ahead, and I'm curious to see how he does it. So far, so good, but we're really not out of the woods yet. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, really fun to break all this down for you. And, uh, you know, when we make our yield cold yield curve control t-shirts carol let's certainly around they should each uh, get one all right francis donald global chief economist head of macroeconomic strategy for manulife investment management joining us on the phone from toronto lewis alexander chief u.s economist for nomura on the phone in new york city i gotta say jay powell's gotta be looking right now at the financial markets and being like okay the markets were okay with this i mean in terms of yeah. very little movement uh along the yield curve uh equities a little bit of a positive bounce here um but not like they're off and running right so kind of resuming you know just like okay cool we got it's this. kind of what you want to see i mean if you're jay powell and and his advisors yeah because, uh that was not always what happened when he first started speaking, when he first started giving these press conferences. Um, so we'll see. We'll see whether it holds. I mean, I think Francis Donald said it exactly right at the top that he's got to spend however long it is, 45 minutes to an hour, saying nothing. Right, right, which is not Finding so easy. new ways to say nothing. But uh, especially because he's going to be challenged. Big, big yeah. Well, first of all, people are going to say, Friday's jobs report shocked yeah. everybody. So everybody's getting it wrong. Like, we're doing okay. We're doing much better than we thought, right? So he's going to, I'm sure, going to be challenged several times on that. And then, yeah, the role of the Federal Reserve, right? And in terms of, you know, their role in society, especially against, you know, all of the inequalities that were, you know, exposed during the virus and then once again i know laid bare and then uh also again in terms of what happened in minneapolis yeah yeah yeah. and it's something that we continue to talk about and i do think you know and francis alluded to this this whole notion that you know people are going to expect more i am interested to hear you know both uh francis and lewis talk about this you know kind of janet yellen notion of like you got to let it run hot like don't get too worried because when you let it run hot it really uh you know 
could solve some problems. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Let's get to uh, Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. He's on the phone in New Jersey. Lindsay Piegza, back with us, Chief Economist at Stiefel Financial. She joins us on the phone um, from Chicago. And, you know, Ira, I want to start with you. It feels like the market's kind of ending up where they started before the Fed decision. But what's key for you, as you heard from the Fed chief? Not at all, Carol. I mean, uh, the yield curve has flattened quite a bit. If you look at twos, tens, or or five-year versus ten-year treasuries, um, I I think that the two things really caused the uh, the treasury market to react pretty, you know, at least noticeably, if not significantly. Uh, one is that the dot plot being as uh, as dovish as it was, with the you know median uh, forecast of of Fed members saying that they're not going to hike rates until uh, at least 2023. That that has meant that you had so a pretty significant rally in five and seven year rates. Uh, actually, and then uh, and then on the other side, the um, the chairman mentioning yield curve control in his opening remarks, and then also in response to a couple of questions, I think also contributed to additional um, uh, additional buying of treasuries. So so I think the the support that uh, the market had back in March that that's been ebbing. Uh, I, I think the the Fed leaves open the possibility that you'll have even more asset buying in the future if uh, the recovery doesn't uh, doesn't accelerate rate from uh, the, the way that the uh, some of the members of the Fed hope. So, Lindsay, Lindsay Piegza, as I look at what our colleagues on the Bloomberg Top Live blog were saying, as I look at the equity market reaction a little bit, I mean, it seems like everybody was kind of trying to make up their mind of what they were hearing, both tonally and I think in substance from the Fed chair. What was the most important thing you heard him say? Well, I think the most important thing was the tone of reassurance. The Fed chairman really reiterating the notion that the committee will continue to do whatever it takes to support the economy. Now, on the one hand, they pointed out that the policies already implemented have been relatively favorable. They point to improving financial conditions specifically. Again, longer number of tools still in our toolbox. We have not exhausted those yet. Back to Ira Jersey. And Ira, I should have clarified, the equity markets seem to kind of, you know, bounce around and then settle back to where they were. But you're right in terms of uh, the Treasury uh, market, in terms of what we got. So, uh, you know, what's the next focal point, do you think, that's going to be really key for market watchers, especially when it comes to the fixed income market and, and really some of those economic data points? As Jay Powell, you know, several times reminded us, you know, this was one data point, that jobs report we got on Friday. And you could yeah. tell he's worried about the labor market. Yeah, for sure. I I, I certainly um, read his comments that way as well. That you know, that there was he was he and everyone else, quite frankly, were surprised by the data. And obviously, the data is going to be very noisy. I think over the next couple of months. So, so I think for the rate market, it's going to be this push and pull. So the idea is, how serious are they at implementing something like an open-ended quantitative easing that would be yield curve control and defending a particular rate versus the amount of, of Treasury supply that's coming to the market? So obviously, to, uh, to fund all of the fiscal stimulus plans, and certainly if there's another potentially trillion-dollar fiscal stimulus in the future coming down the, uh, the pipeline, then that's just going to add to the amount of treasuries that are going to have to be issued. And, and you've already mm. seen a little bit of 
um, a, a little bit of friction as some of those bonds have been issued over the last couple of weeks. Uh, T-bills in particular, but also even uh, 10-year notes yesterday had uh, their weakest Treasury auction that we've seen in, in quite a few months. So, so, so I, I think that that's the push and pull that's going to go on. And obviously, the, you know, the traditional economic data is going to matter, but I think you have to look through the next couple of months and we won't really get a clear picture until August or September mm. as we start to get, uh, get a little bit deeper into the data cycle. Yeah, so talk a little bit more about that if you can, Ira. You know, deeper into that data cycle, what exactly are we looking for? Who are we looking toward um, to, to really get that good sense? Because you're right, it's been very hard to kind of get a handle on what's important. And even the Fed chair basically being like, listen, let's not get way too excited about uh, last uh, Friday's number. Well, I think in a way the data is going to be lagging some of the the uh, real-time data that we can look at. So I, I think it's things like where are aggregate cases and deaths from coronavirus, for example, and then what is the policy response for that, right? So so do you see more and more states opening up because the, the number of cases being reported per day has gone down? I mean, I live in New Jersey, as you noted at the top of the show, and, you know, we're starting to reopen. We had one of the most draconian... Um, the, yeah. You know, sets of of social distancing, and now we're we're starting to slowly open up. And when you look at, you know, cases per day are now at 300 instead of at you know 3,000. You know, as you get that data, I think that data might actually push markets and be more important, um, certainly to risk assets. I think than uh, um, so things like corporate bonds and equities more than uh, more than you know ISM data, for example. I agree with you. I think a lot of the CEOs and individuals we've had, they said, you know. It, it's a healthcare story. It's a healthcare problem. Um, just quickly, I just wanted to ask you. Uh, he said many officials see different possible paths for the economy. Just got about thirty seconds. Um, so what? Healthy debate going inside the Fed right now? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that that just shows the the uncertainty. Uh, you know, both at the Fed, but also in the markets in general. Like, like we don't know what the path of the recovery is. But in my in my view, it's more of a a duck build, fat tail. You know, reduction. <laughs> Because we know now that that you know that the pace is probably going to be positive from here. The question is, what is how how fast and and or or how flat is that recovery yeah. going to be? All right. Well, we really appreciate it. Uh, we know it's a busy day. Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us on the phone from New Jersey. Lindsay Piegza, Chief Economist for Stiefel Financial, on the phone from Chicago. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, it is time for the drive to the close. Let's check in with our man Sean Cruz, manager of Trader Strategy at TD Ameritrade, joining us on the phone 
from Chicago. And, you know, Sean, we were watching the tape as it went through uh, Jay Powell's press conference. It's been a funky one for a long time now. But it was interesting to just watch almost tick by tick. You could see people being like, huh? 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 I mean, I'm using very technical market uh, <laughs> sounds there. Uh, but interesting to watch how dependent this market really is on Jay Powell and friends. Yeah, and I think what the markets were trying to get was some guidance, one, on, on where interest rates were going to be, not just for the time being, but looking forward for the next year or two. Yeah. Um, and then also looking at what they were going to do with asset purchases. So I think, one, in one hand, they got what they wanted. That is, we are going to get the, the rates remaining in the 0 to 25 basis points range, and we also got what we wanted from asset purchases. But I think that they plan on keeping those rates lower, I think a little bit longer than the market anticipated. Sort of doesn't put you in a good place mentally about the trajectory of the economy if you are going to need rates uh, that low for that long going out through 2022. What does that say about your, your expectations for what the economy is going to be doing? And I think trying to reconcile that was what caused a lot of that volatility back and forth as the conference was going well- on. Well, Sean, right? It's like, wait a minute. Okay, that's cheap money for a really long time. Wait a minute. That also means the economy's not so great, right? Like it's that yin-yang that was going on. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, I think so. And so it's hard to imagine it where, one, you're going to start getting um, some recovering employment. You're going to get some recovering economic activity, but you're not going to get any sort of inflationary pressures to go along with it or anything yeah. else that would necessitate the Fed having to push rates higher, um, at least before 2022. So that's one thing where the market sort of read through um, into that. And then if you're looking at rates being that low that long, it's not going to help out some of these sectors that need higher interest rates or or take higher interest rates sort of as a good sign of economic economic activity. And that's financials, that's industrials, and and you definitely are seeing those uh, sectors remain under pressure post-conference. Right. So, Sean, I have to ask you, amid all of this, and today was no exception, we continue to see tech stocks. I was going to say grind higher, but there's not really a grind. It's just like they're going. They're going up. No friction, Um, it feels like. Yeah, not a lot of friction there. (laughs) I do wonder what you make of especially the big tech names, the fang names amid all of this because they continue to really hold everything up. I mean, the NASDAQ is up 10% on the year at this point plus. So it's almost like you have to think of this not in terms of cyclical versus defensive. Um, you almost have to think of it as stay-at-home versus reopening. And when you get the, the stay-at-home theme prevailing that maybe we're not going to reopen as fast as, as we were hoping or expecting, that's when you start to see some of these tech names. And I think it's been well-documented, just the, the impact that Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google have on, on the NASDAQ. Um, whereas if you're looking at the S&P 500, where there's um, a lot more, like we just talked about, industrials, financials, energies that make up a, a decent amount of that index as well, it makes sense that you can see the NASDAQ really take off, especially when the stay-at-home theme prevails, because you've got, you've got four or five names that make up so much of that index, but also can benefit from the stay-at-home economy. And even if we start to reopen, they're probably going to be in a good spot right. to reopen moving forward as well. Well, don't you wonder, I mean, Sean, I don't know, you've watched the markets for a while. Do we at some point wake up and say, uh, you know, this is our economy, this handful of tech names largely, and anybody connected with them is our economy going forward? Or, or are we being kind of stupid in thinking that? I don't think it would be wrong to, to think that, Companies like Amazon and Microsoft 
are just bringing so many users and, and so much activity onto their platforms. And a lot of that probably will remain sticky moving forward. I, I think you've already seen some of that uh, play out. And if you look at just the, the market capitalization, how much that has shrunk in some of those other sectors, um, you can even look at some of the consumer discretionaries. If, if you take Amazon out of the consumer discretionaries, um, there's been a, a significant um, drop in the market cap of discretionaries, uh, market cap of, of industrials and yeah. energy companies. So the index is already sort of starting to reflect that that is really going to be more representative of economic activity moving forward will be in those big uh, technology and communication services companies. Can I ask you about one thing that's a little maybe sort of offbeat, which is, you know, you look at some of these bankrupt companies like Hertz and JCPenney's, and, you know, these are well-known names to, to folks, and, and yet you've seen these little runs in them. These are companies that are, you know, if not going out of business, being dramatically restructured legally. Help me understand that. Well, that was a little bit of a head-scratcher uh, to me as well, because that's sort of just a given in any sort of bankruptcy or debt reorganization. If you are an equity holder, the, the first and easiest item to check off the list is equity goes to zero. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that was a little bit of a mystery, and, and so that almost makes you wonder if there was going to be some sort of a deal or something put on the table where there was, they were going to find a way to, to maybe take the company private or recapitalize the company without having to do that. But that was a, a very short-lived, right? what I think is, is maybe a, a, just a little blip in, in yeah. the pricing that, that reversed itself fairly quickly. Interesting. You know, well, and it's just, it is an interesting time. I just feel like there's so many people weighing in, like, you know, we had John Paul Tudor Jones, like, uh, eating some humble pie, you know, all of these big investors who were, you know, saying back in March or even sooner, like, this is not a market to be in. And then yet here we are. So I don't know. Uh, what are your expectations? What kind of visibility do you have in terms of the equity trade right now? Well, the, what we noticed, and I, and I can speak for TD Ameritrade clients, and that is we actually saw our clients start uh, lowering exposure to equities at the start of the year. Um, and we actually hit a, a seven-year low in March for equity exposure in clients. And it sort of turned around from there. So uh, I think clients started dialing back exposure once we hit those lows in March. And, and it was sort of one thing where we've, we've had some about a decade to see how this plays out. But the Fed came in with in March, and they really announced some pretty extraordinary programs. We also got financial support packages that were, were pretty extraordinary as well. Um, and I think investors saw that as, as an opportunity maybe to, to get back in. And that was really meant to address what I think was the, the big concern and issue for the market, and that was leverage and solvency right. issues. And, and everything the Fed and, and uh, Congress did seemed to be pointed to address those, those solvency right. issues. Yeah. Or default Sounds risk. like a little bit of market timing to me, and those were good, those were, like, good yeah. calls. Smart, smart <laughs> they clients. did that. Smart right? clients. All right, Sean Cruz, thank you so much. Manager of Trader Strategy for TD Ameritrade, joining us on the phone from Chicago. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.